All right. You ready? Yeah. For real? Okay. No. Oh, my gosh. Every time I take a deep breath, you always say something. <laughs> <laughs> Get your timing figured out. I was or just going to say, are you ready? It. You said, and you didn't say anything, so then I went to speak and you said no. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Skype right. is delayed. You got to anticipate that. I am trying to. I've been trying to give you spots to say stuff, everything. Yeah, I know. And I appreciate that. Okay. Are you ready? For real this time? Oh, yeah. Maybe. Oh. Uh, we'll find out. <laughs> okay. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Book Retorts. No, yes. no enthusiasm, Sam. <laughs> you didn't introduce yourself. I know, but I was just giving you a part to be enthusiastic about our title, our name. <laughs> but this, that's not what we do, Danielle. You can't change the format on me ad hoc and expect me to catch up. Hey, Sam, I'm going to completely change how we do our opening. Why weren't you with me on that? We didn't talk about this. Everybody, this is Sam. I'm Danielle. Yeah, nice to they, see everybody. Talk to everybody today. Yeah, what is this podcast, Danielle? This is Book Retorts, the podcast where one of us explains a weird piece of media to the other who doesn't have any experience with it. Or pulls the rug up from the other person by changing our usual routine <laughs> up without warning. I don't think we're 100% in our routine, so to be fair. Uh, I don't know if we're 100%, but we certainly do have some general expectations. <laughs> All right. Well, not this morning, apparently. <laughs> you got me by surprise, Danielle. <laughs> That's because I'm doing something unique today, Sam, to oh, our podcast. Unique. <laughs> We're bringing in a new, a new uh, genre of media. <laughs> I, I am very uncomfortable with this. All of a sudden, <laughs> you should be. <laughs> that, oh boy. Right. Well, everyone, it was a nice podcast we had while it lasted. This will be the <laughs> last episode based on how this is going to be received. I assume. It can't be because this has got to be probably a two-parter. <laughs> oh, even <laughs> so get better. get a break, Sam. <laughs> a two parts of torture. Can't wait. Okay. Everybody, we're doing today, I am going to explain to Sam the book, the absolutely huge fan classic. Everybody loves this book from the last year or so. It's been on the top of a bunch of Amazon and, and other bestseller lists. It's called Ice Planet Barbarians by Ruby Dixon. <laughs> Did you just pick like a self published kindle book erotica thing okay i don't know if it's self-published but it's definitely an erotica book <laughs> but with a lot of plot sam otherwise i wouldn't be bringing it <laughs> well i mean you start with a book called ice planet barbarians and i'm like yeah i mean i thought i saw a million of those in like dog-eared copies in a used bookstore back in the you know 90s yeah this is definitely a very i would say it has a very pulp vibe from like the 60s. Well, books um, are made from paper. But it's modern age. <laughs> That's not what I meant, Sam, and you know <laughs> oh, it. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> it reminds me of the crab story, Night of the Crabs. Night of the Crabs. Well, that was, it was certainly a thing, Danielle. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great, it's a great episode, everybody. Feel free to listen to it. I would highly recommend it. It's one of our less coherent episodes, which definitely is pretty fun. <laughs> It's one of my favorite episodes that we've done, actually. Oh, that's so really I'm nice. So bringing it back, bringing it back with some erotica thrown in, which I will not go into detail of because mostly the sex has nothing to do with the story plot. 
Which is most erotica, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, more heavy than a lot of erotica and story plots, so I'll take it, and I think you'll enjoy the actual plot of this book. Okay, well, that's going to be something very interesting. Can't wait to hear about it. Uh, yeah, which you will today on Book Retorts. That is our premise, yes. <laughs> it is. I'd also like to give a shout out to friend of the podcast, Mark, who is very excited about this book, and it is his birthday coming up. So, hey, Mark. Happy birthday, Mark. Woo. This book's for you. Any uncomfortableness <laughs> that you, you get from this. barbarians is, is for you. Yeah. yeah. So however uncomfortable this makes you feel, it's all for you, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> it's all Mark's fault. <laughs> no, no, no. This is your fault, Danielle. This is my fault. This is absolutely my fault. I'm the one bringing it, but I really do think you'll enjoy it, Sam. You'll have a lot to say. <laughs> Great. Is this sci-fi erotica? Because that's always extra fun. Absolutely. So the tagline for this book is Ice Planet's Barbarian, a sci-fi romance. Perfect. All right. You've got me hooked. <laughs> I think I think you'll enjoy it. I think it's a little uh, more than a romance, but I, I was willing to run with it. And I will give the background on this. I would not say this is my normal uh, genre or type of book. And I don't read a ton of sci-fi, though I do read some. Sam really has the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Sam? Monopoly. The run of sci-fi on our podcast. <laughs> you know, this is not normally my my genre of choice, but it has been recommended in pretty much every book group that I am part of. So well, I think that says more about the book groups you're part of than it does about the quality of the book. No, there's just a really wide variety of books that are recommended in the book groups. I mean, some of these book groups are like Facebook with 10,000 people or something. So there's a lot of variety of books. But this one comes up a lot. And I just at one day I was feeling at my weakest and I just thought, you know what, I'm going to read Ice Planet Barbarians. <laughs> and to be clear, I'm not judging this book saying it's going to be bad or good. I'm just saying just because it's recommended in a bunch of your book groups doesn't have anything to say about its quality, good or bad. <laughs> I'm going to send you the summary, Sam. Let's get this, this show started. This is actually the summary on Amazon. It is also the little precursor in the book as well. I can't wait to read it. Oh, I saw this summary is the second person. So this is going to be even better. <laughs> You'd think that being abducted by aliens would be the worst thing that could happen to me. And you'd be wrong, because now the aliens are having ship trouble, and they've left their cargo of human women, oh, oh no, <laughs> including me, on an ice planet. And the only native inhabitant I've met, question mark for some reason, he's big, horned blue and really really has a thing for me i hate this uh, this sounds like a <laughs> sitcom like you know an 80s movie like how'd i end up in this situation well let me tell you back three days ago i was walking home and <laughs> that is actually how it starts really oh uh, so uh this book is famous less for its original ideas than it's smut got it <laughs> which to be clear <laughs> nothing wrong with smut so much great i'm just I'm trying to establish what i'm in for <laughs> i will not go into detail on the sexy bits of this book so i'm sorry everybody if that's your thing there are a lot of podcasts out there that i'm sure would go into great detail and probably have covered this book it's a well-known book <laughs> or you can just read the book also <laughs> you could also read the book um i will give a couple of content warnings particularly in the little first bit that we're going to get into here there is a brief mention. Well, it's a little bit more detail in the book. I won't get into it, but there's a brief mention of sexual assault and abortion as mm -hmm. well. So just a heads up. Strong start for this book. <laughs> this fun, it's sexy romp. It's in passing. 
All right, get me into this. Abduct me to the sexy ice planet with the big horn blue dude. Okay, I really feel like you'll get into this once we start uh, to get oh, into I, it. <laughs> I'm going to have a lot of fun here. I'm very excited to get into this. I just I want to establish the tone of what this book is uh, immediately because I have a feeling I know what it's, what it's going to be like. And I could be wrong, but that summary certainly gave me an expectation. All right, so it opens. It is, it's titled Georgie, the chapter. Okay. Or the section, I would actually say. And it's first person, and it's Georgie is the main girl, obviously, from Georgie's perspective. It's erotica. Of course it's first person. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no. I don't think that's some kind of guarantee, Sam. No, but I, I think like erotica is more likely to be first person than most other genres. Yeah, it's quite possible. I mean, it really gets the reader into the mood, I guess. <laughs> You'd really visualize what's going on. Yeah. I want to see second person erotica. You feel <laughs> sexy. You heart starts to pound. Your hands. I guess actually that exists. So never mind. Pro- probably that exists. exists. 100% yeah, exists. Okay. okay. Well, I, I retract <laughs> my statement. I don't want that. to read that. Yeah. Nope. Nope. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> All right. Georgie Carruthers is her name. Not that. Okay. I read this book and then read several after it. It's a whole series. And I had no what? idea this was her last name. It's mentioned exactly once in this book. There's a whole series? Are you confused that it's a series? Oh, Sam. Oh, Sam. I, I mean, I, I'm not confused by that. I know that people churn these out. Are they like novellas? Like short little books? No, these are like full-length books. This, I mean, this book apparently is too, well, one of the books in the series, I don't know which one I'm on, is on 243 pages. They're like normal books. That's just so much on such a paper-thin premise. <laughs> it gets worse. Okay, so this story does not... I will I will tell you, Sam, that this story does not resolve everything that it presents because it's a series. So it, it, this is definitely a standalone, but there's a couple of lingering things. So just a heads up that you won't have answers to all of your questions. At least the uh, authors seem to have a plan, so that's good. Yeah. We'll get into that towards the end. So Georgie Carruthers, until yesterday, did not believe in aliens. Well, I mean, all of that's about to change. <laughs> Why is every sentence you start this book with sound like a movie trailer? <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit like that in the beginning. This book's right. also a little bit darker than the rest of them. The rest are kind of like fun and silly. And this one definitely has a slightly darker vibe to it, particularly right. in the beginning. So cut to the night before for a kind of a previously on Ice Planet Barbarians. Georgie comes really home need- from work. She works a big. <laughs> oh my gosh, Sam. Well, I'm sorry. I, I really need the recap. <laughs> To understand where the context is. You do, because you got to know that we spend very little time on Earth. This is the time we spend on Earth. Georgie comes home from work at a bank. She gets a microwave meal. She watches some TV and she heads to bed. That's literally the paragraph. That's like, it's not detailing it. It's telling you what happened. Okay. She wakes to a light being shined in her eyes. And once she's able to see, she realizes that she's surrounded by creatures with long black eyes, big heads, and skinny pale arms. And they're green, Sam. They're green. Are these like your standard little green men aliens from every cliche, you know, (laughs) gift shop in the, you know, Area 51, Nevada area? I am pretty sure that's absolutely the case based on the description. Uh, There are other aliens in this book that look different, but these ones in particular seem to be little green men. To be fair, I think the book is aware that it's kind of (laughs) silly. I hope so, because I get that erotica doesn't really need to be too clever or creative. It just needs to be a good vehicle for fantasy. But, I mean, I still appreciate when effort is put into it. (laughs) Well, I think effort is sort of put into it. I'm not saying this book's plot heavy, but it does have a plot. (laughs) 
Okay. I said, I'm just saying from what you've told me so far, based on that description and the fact that the aliens are the most cliche alien, like least imaginative type of alien I've ever heard. I haven't seen anything yet to convince me otherwise. And that will change, That's I fair, hope. But but, we're only yeah. two paragraphs into the book. So there we go. Uh, so she know. screams <laughs> and they promptly wrap something around her mouth, which causes her to black out. They basically chloroform her. Ooh. And she awakens to today or whatever present time in the book. So she's locked in a cage of some kind that is installed into a cargo bay. And around her are six, like these six foot metal lighted tubes that are lined up against the wall like lockers. And she realizes as the drugs wear off that she isn't alone. And there are like maybe seven or eight other women in the cage with her that appear asleep right now. Oh, all those chloroformed women. Poor things. Well, I don't think they're chloroformed. I think they're asleep. (laughs) Well, how'd they get asleep? (laughs) They're sleeping because they're there, Sam. You'll find out in a minute, but most of these women have been here a while. Oh, okay. So she takes stock of herself. She realizes um, that there's some like raised bumps along a sore arm, but she's not sure what that means. And she begins to whimper and a voice calls out telling her not to scream. And she's having a really hard time focusing with the drugs still in her system, but she tries to calm herself down. Okay. Does a little meditation, a little yoga. She'll be fine. Yeah. Puts her hands, palms together, does a little zen. <laughs> Thinks about her banking job. <laughs> Oh, I didn't have to process all those transactions. <laughs> so she looks at the other woman, the one who had spoken to her, and this this woman's blonde and about her age, and she introduces herself as Liz and tells her that everybody was drugged when they arrived on the ship, but a little wear off and just a little bit. And Liz fills her in on what's going on on the ship. How does Liz know? Because she's been there for a little while. Yeah, but like, she's like, oh yeah, the aliens told me their entire plan because they speak English and also we'll get there, like- Sam. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> the book thinks of that, I swear. <laughs> Oh, all right. They well, don't speak uh, English. <laughs> look at me giving it too little credit. Apparently, everybody was abducted by aliens, obviously. <laughs> and they're all the same age, which is 22 for, I don't know, reasons. There's no reason why they all need to be the same age. It's just uh, apparently they all are. <laughs> I mean, I know why it is. It, it, it's regulation. Hunting and fishing regulations have to be a certain age before you can hunt them. Like these are the... You know, doing the stick out to measure the fish, like they're just over the line for legally caught. Yes, maybe they start to glow or something when they reach a certain age, so the aliens know that they're allowed to be taken. I don't know, Sam. And Liz goes on (laughs) to say all of the, like, requirements that these aliens seem to have for these women, but as you'll see in just a second, it's promptly, like, the requirements mean nothing. And here we go, that's the reason why. She's like, all of us are American. Well, except there's one Canadian. (laughs) So well, I mean, depends mean on your fish of America. Well, the United States. Yeah, she says like American in the book. She means from the United States. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and apparently, all the women seem to live alone. They're not pregnant. They have no major health issues, and there's no nearby family. And don't ask me how the aliens would know any of this. Like, were they studying them? How do they know? I mean, I imagine if they're aliens with a lot of technology, they could easily, like, spy on people from space for one. And, like, it's not hard to determine if someone's pregnant with our current technology. I'm sure with their space well, alien technology, like, they Like, no could nearby find it out. family? Uh, I mean, you know, DNA scan, maybe? <laughs> I did okay, Sam. <laughs> Look, why am I'm I... Glad all that I have to do, do is see, like... Is there any person who shares close DNA with the other person nearby? Easy peasy. I'm the alien whisperer, Daniel. I make this work. (laughs) Did you mention the author for this book? Yes. Oh, you did. Okay. Well, I don't remember their name, but they should call me to help them iron out these details. (laughs) 
I don't think the details at all matter, Sam. They don't. Uh, it's absolutely true. And it's further like compounded by the fact that apparently one of the girls was pregnant, but the aliens did a DNC on her. So it's a moot point. It doesn't matter. They're clearly not picking people because they're live alone, not pregnant, no major health issues, and no nearby family. As we'll see multiple times in this book, the aliens just seem to pick random 22-year-olds. <laughs> I am impressed by Liz's ability to be so confidently wrong. <laughs> it's impressive. She says the whole sentence and then quickly says multiple things that discount it. Is Liz a main or recurring character? Because I feel like she's kind of a dum-dum. Uh, Liz is a character in, I want to say, the second book. I think she's a character in the next book. So okay. each book in the series goes between a different girl. So they follow each of the different women in, in, in the books. Yeah, okay. which is why they're kind of standalone, even though there's an overarching plot. So Liz has been there for two weeks, but the person who's been there the longest is Kira, who has been fitted with a translator on her ear. It's like a surgically implanted piece that allows her to understand the aliens, though doesn't seem to translate her own language back to them. They may understand them. I don't know. It's unclear. So they put like a babble fish from Hitchhiker's Guide into her ear. Absolutely. For this language. Correct. Okay. For all languages. It's actually just a translator. It translates all languages. <laughs> All right, so I may be jumping the gun here, what I assume is happening, but my first thought from the description was this is obviously some kind of awful alien sex slave trade, right? It's deeply implied that that's probably what's going on here, but uh, at least so, as far as I am in the series, it's not specific. So, so my question is, if the humans here are just essentially cattle, why do they care about fixing with a translator to tell them what's going on? I think so that there's somebody in the group can tell them like what they're supposed to do if they're giving directions or something. But partly it's just for plot, Sam. It's really just for plot because it becomes that's, that's, that's what I'm getting at, Danielle. <laughs> I mean, I know it's for plot, Danielle. I know how books and stories work. I'm just trying to be our normal nitpicky, weirdly detailed selves. Yeah, I would agree that there's no real reason they could just like, you know, I, the, 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 the things I say to them are pretty basic, like, you know, eat your food kind of stuff. Like, I don't think they would actually be a translator to No, to I mean, they're part of locking them in a cage. All you gotta do is put them in a cage, throw your tray of food in there, and people can figure out what to do. Like, it's like, oh, we're not gonna, I don't know how to eat. Yeah. <laughs> so, but no, it's plot, plot based, Sam. So it's important later. Great. Perfect. She's got a translator on her ear, and the tubes also list, uh, lets them know that the tubes on the wall seem to hold more girls. So, like, the glowing tubes have people inside of them. In suspended animation. Yes. So, Kira has ascertained that the aliens, because she can overhear conversations, the aliens are smugglers That's a, of some wait, wait, kind, wait, wait, and they wait, seem wait. to trade. Oh, wait, wait, wait. So they gave her a transfer device that lets her understand them and then just have casual conversations where she can hear them and overhear all their plans. Like, this is why you don't give your <laughs> sex slave cattle translators that let them understand you and maybe form plans against you. <laughs> okay, yep. But here we are. And none of them have tried to form any plans. They're all terribly, they're, like, they don't seem to want to get off the ship. <laughs> Do any of these women have any agency? Um, Yeah. But more so when you read one-on-one -on -one about them. But we're following Georgie's story. So Georgie has agency. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because I, I really, I'm hoping, I don't want this to be one of those erotica books where like the women are just objects that are sort of like, they have no agency other than to be like, oh, everything is about sex. Um, I don't want to spoil how this whole book works, Sam. But I would, I'm sure people would argue this. I think there's 
you know, however you define that. But I personally didn't have a lot of huge issues with the way the relationships were portrayed. Some things, yes, not all things, though. And I think that the women have are pretty independent and have a lot of agency and make their Excellent. own choices, including when it comes to the sex. So yeah, all right. But well, that's I, good to I hear. <laughs> do you agree that I could see where people would like dislike some of the things in this book? Fair or enough. in this series. I mean, like I said, I'm very not very far into it, and I'm making a lot of conclusion jumping because, you know, what else are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to make sure, like, how prepared should, should I be bracing myself for some very unfortunate things, but it sounds like it's okay. Yeah, I would say that the first part of this book's the roughest part, and then it gets into the, the sillier parts. Okay. So the aliens are smugglers of some kind, and they trade in women, clearly. And yep. Liz's best guess is that they came to pick up six women, the people that are in the tubes, but they had such a good run that they took as many as they could fit, which doesn't make any sense to me. If you have cryo tubes or whatever, you know, to to store your cargo for both convenience and protecting it, why would you just then shove a bunch of more into like a corner or why would you not plan for that from the beginning? Like this is this is nonsense. <laughs> No, it's insane to me. And I get that it's like they before the plot, they need as many women as possible on the ship, essentially. But I don't understand why they why any species would be like, well, we've got the six that we need. Let's just pick up a bunch more and stick them in a makeshift cage in the cargo bay. <laughs> yeah. Also, like we don't have rations for them. It'll be fine. <laughs> But but also, there are so many people on Earth that, like, they knew that there'd be way more than six women they could grab on Earth. Like, you'd have to be a complete idiot to figure out, oh, I'd be lucky to grab six young women who are age 22 who aren't pregnant. Like, there are probably thousands of women who would fit that description across the globe. Yes. And apparently, the rules don't matter anyways. They just need to be 22. Right. <laughs> like- so... If they already were planning to take more, I don't, I don't understand that they, they knew there were, they had to know there'd be more than that there. So either they were planning for that or they're like, I, I don't get it. I'm sorry. I'm so confused. I think maybe, well, I don't know why they didn't plan ahead in, in advance for more than six women, but I think the concept is, is again for story. <laughs> Yeah, but like, even in the story, why have, do the cryotubes make a big difference? If like, you just have all the women in a cage and not mention the cryotubes, then it's fine. Yeah, it does. And I don't think it makes a big difference, but there is tension, particularly later on in the series, of the women who had to survive this whole ordeal, like, consciously, and then the women Uh. who got to be in cryotubes and just got popped out and were like, hey, you're on a another planet kind of thing. So I think that's part of the drama of the story is that there's these two sets of women. Some, And I mean, they get along well enough, but there is a little bit of drama between the ones that got it easy, quote unquote, and the ones that had to, you know, live through all this. All right. Well, that's, that's actually not a, a, that's a pretty inter... Yeah, that's interesting. Con- I was going to say that's a fairly interesting concept. So I'll let it slide. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that was really like the reason for it, but it makes, inter- makes it a little bit more interesting later. And... Then also, she lets them know that they've been getting a new one every other day or so, and it's been going on for several weeks. And I... That's a long time. Are they spending this much time about the United States? Why is it taking them this long to pick up, I don't know, 14 women or something? 
<laughs> I just are they on a pleasure cruise? They're just like hanging out. They're not in any hurry with their smuggling. Like like nobody's expecting this product it anywhere. Take this long. I, I picked up fourteen women <laughs> in a bar in just one night. Exactly. Like why? <laughs> it's not even hard, Sam. <laughs> yeah, that's what they said. Oh, hilarious. Thank you. I mean, I'm okay. trying to get into the erotica mood, Danielle. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, the, Sam, the first half of this has almost no sex in it. I'm sorry, everybody. Listen to the second half if you want all the interesting details. <laughs> well, then I'm going to have to make up for the difference. <laughs> Okay, so I don't know why it's taken them this long to get these like 14-ish women on this ship, but apparently it's taken like a month and that just seems crazy to me. It, it is. And then also Liz reminds her that she absolutely cannot scream or make noise. It's bad news bears. And Georgie's like, why? And Liz says, oh, you'll see soon enough. Which, no, you just gave her just details her. about every single thing. <laughs> just tell her why she can't make noise. And obviously it's like a bad thing. Like, just why? Why would you just not tell her? And also, why do you tell like, you'll soon see when like you should be warning every Everybody not to scream so it won't happen. Yeah, super creepy. And apparently it's the, the little green men that don't like the noise, so. Well, I wouldn't blame them. No one likes screaming. <laughs> so Georgie asks about the little arm bumps that she saw earlier on her sore arm. And Liz explains that they're, that's some kind of alien doctor, which is what they assume, assume the person, the alien is, comes in and inserts a little silver thing into their arm. And they're assuming that they're trackers of some kind, which I guess if they escape... <laughs> I don't know why they have so many of them on their ship. <laughs> yeah, or they could be cattle brand or whatever. I don't know. Yes, they do talk about how they're like cattle. It's a comparison that you made easily and they make easily as well. So I think it's funny, this idea that they have all these trackers um, on their ship. I, I don't know, assuming that they're trackers or whatever they are, I don't know what they intended to use them for. Like why why do they, they have, have extras? If they put <laughs> yeah. If, why do they have the trackers at all if they're planning to put... So this goes back to my original point. Either they were planning to get a bunch more women anyway, just didn't uh, outfit their cargo hold appropriately, or they just happened to have all the stuff they needed to get a bunch more women. Yeah, I mean, maybe somebody was like, well, maybe we'll pick up some more women and picked up a bunch of trackers on the fly and they just happened to use them. But there's no actual reasoning why they would have them on their ship. The question is, do they put the trackers in the other women, the ones in the cryotubes also? I do not recall that from later in the story. I can't tell you, Sam. But that would also be dumb. <laughs> well, I mean, it would at least make sense if they, like, track all the women anyway for, like, whoever they deliver them to maybe uses a tracker. Like, this is a service they provide. Yeah, perhaps. It's like a scanning thing that goes into some computer database that shows that you paid for it. <laughs> yeah, like a digital receipt. Who knows? Maybe. That's quite possible. Let's pretend that's the case. That'll make it sound better. We can totally uh, explain this plot away. <laughs> Well, that's our job, Danielle. <laughs> <laughs> so for the next day or so, Georgie, you know, settles into this new reality, I guess. And there are apparently two types of aliens on the ship, Sam. The, the little green man. small green ones, yeah. Yep. Yep. And the bigger ones that seem to be in charge of security, and they're orange and have pebbled skin. She calls them basketball heads. These are the ones that everybody's afraid of, not the green men. I was going to say, why are they basketball heads if their entire skin is the surface of a basketball? Well, she just, it reminds her of a basketball, so she calls them basketball heads. Okay, I would just call them basketball bodies or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, she says basketball heads. Maybe they have jumpsuits on, so perhaps uh, what she can see the most of is their head. You know what, Danielle? Got me there. <laughs> The next day, she awakens to one of them staring at her in the cage. Like when she wakes up, everybody else seems to be awake, and all the girls have pushed themselves back into the like the farthest reaches of the cage that they can get. And she recalls that she's not supposed to make any any noise. And at some point during this kind of scene, they open up the cage door and put in a new girl that they just got. Is it the green men or the basketball heads who are there? Basketball heads. 
Okay, so the basketball heads are the ones who added the new woman. All right. So as this girl awakens, this woman, she starts to panic, and they tell her to be quiet, but she's, you know, panicking. So she flails and starts to make noise, and the orange alien guards end up pulling her out of the cage and assaulting her. And Georgie immediately decides that she is never going to let them touch her, and she's going to kill them if they ever come near her. And she starts to make kind of mental plans for escape. Like they, they beat her? No, they like sexually assaulted her. Wait. What? I know. I don't know why the aliens would, Sam. It's just part of the plot line. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> it is. I, mean, I agree. In more ways than one. That is... Ugh, I do not like that. I'm sorry. That seems unnecessary right. from the story perspective and also doesn't make any sense plot-wise. I did hear from somebody that the paperback copy doesn't have that scene in it, which I think is interesting. I don't know if it just fades to black or, if, or what, because it's kind of semi-described in the book. And it comes up a little bit later. It's referenced, but it's not, I wouldn't say, like a huge plot point, except for one or two of the characters. Yikes. That is, um, I don't know, it feels gratuitous. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's super necessary, but it is important to the development of one or two of the characters later. But it's not something that's triggering for me, but I absolutely understand why it would be for other people. Yeah, no, don't don't appreciate that. <laughs> so anyway, regardless of that, the reason I think it's important in this context is that she... Georgie immediately kind of has a turnaround. Like she's no longer just waiting to see what happens. She wants to actively like take the situation down and return to Earth. Fair enough. I mean, I wouldn't want to be there either after seeing that right. unnecessary display. Also, why didn't Liz warn her about that? I know. That's why I said it's stupid when Liz is like, you'll find out. I'm like, no, freaking tell her. <laughs> like, that, like Liz is a bad person. <laughs> <laughs> it's astounding, really. Like, I don't under... You're telling her everything about this situation. Like, tell her... Like, this is important. <laughs> tell her that, too. No kidding. So, the next week or so passes, and no new girls are added to the ship. So, they're kind of assuming that they're full up, and that they'll be proceeding to their final location. And one evening, she's talking to Liz and Kira about what they need to do to get them to return to Earth. Like, what, what the plan should be. And they come up with this plan, which seems to be to take out the orange aliens who are the security detail and bully the green ones into returning to earth which seems very questionable yeah how are they plan. gonna take out the security well the plan they come up with is like liz is like well we're behind bars like there's not a whole lot we can do and kira is like well we have to obviously we have to do something so that they open the doors and if there's not any more girls coming in like the they're not gonna open the doors so the only way we can get them to do that is if we make some noise and when they open the gate we can rush them and take the take the guns that they have that's very optimistic that these women can rush the guards. Also, they don't know how big this ship is. It's not like they've got a tour of it. They don't know how many other aliens are on this or what other security measures exist on this ship. Oh, sure. It's an insane plan. And like the idea that you're what, you're going to go up to some green ones, hold the guns and be like, take us back to Earth. <laughs> like, like, well, it's not, not going to work. <laughs> Also, how do they even know how to operate an alien weapon in the first place? Well, they do mention that, and it's more like, well, I guess we'll figure it out when we come to it, because what else are we supposed to do? Which, I mean, I get the idea that you'd want to escape from those cages and try and take the ship down. I just don't know what your action... Like, I don't think it would necessarily work. You might get the jump on the orange guys and maybe even hostage the green ones, but I don't know if they'd actually take you back to Earth. And you can't drive the ship, so I don't know. <laughs> No, that's, uh, I mean, I know that maybe like desperate or something, but this plan is a suicide mission at best. Yes, it is. I'm sure it goes just swimmingly. 
<laughs> so Georgie offers to be the bait since it's her plan. And as she declares this, the ship sort of lurches and they all tumble a bit, but it seems to right itself. So they decide to carry on. So the next day, toward evening, you know, when they're getting food or whatever, is when they plan to their attack. The night isn't going as usual. So the ship's been really turbulent all day and bumping around and the guards aren't coming and going as usual. And there's a lot of chatter and intercom communication going on. And Kira's trying to translate for them with her translator, but she doesn't understand all of the words. But it sounds like to her that there's something going on with the engine and they keep talking about detaching the cargo and offloading it to a safe location. So they're having engine trouble and they want to ditch their cargo temporarily at least so they can get repairs. Yes, and come back for it. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, and Georgie's like, we're the cargo. They're talking about us. <laughs> oh, you think, Georgie? <laughs> So they decide to go ahead with the plan regardless of what's going on with the ship. And the plan this involves... Is so like so dumb! <laughs> like, they're on an alien spaceship that's having trouble. That makes it even more dangerous to you. And also, like, apparently they're going to be offloaded to some other place. So, like, I, what are they going to do if they escape? Like, if the engine's not working, they're not going to be able to fix it. So right. maybe it's better to be offloaded and to go from there? <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> And, you know, if the engines aren't enough, like the engines have trouble, they can't move however many people. Like, I, I find that kind of BS. I'm like, oh, no, our 14 human beings have changed <laughs> the weight of the spaceship enough that we can no longer travel <laughs> through space. I mean, that's kind of nonsense. But let's assume that it's true. In that case, they're not going to be able to, like, like they have to dump something off the ship. Are they going to dump all the orange aliens off the ship, maybe? I mean, that would make sense, actually. Yeah. I bet I don't think they're gonna do that. <laughs> no, I get they're desperate, but they there there are other plans that could work better. <laughs> I'm not sure what though. Also, I just want to put this out there uh, immediately, and I know again this is a staple of sci-fi erotica, but like the whole idea that oh aliens are clearly sexually interested in human beings is wild. Insane. Yeah. Yeah, like, no. why? <laughs> why? Why are they the, like, I mean, I get there'll be some fetishists or, or pervert, because you know that humans would definitely bang aliens given a chance, but, like, <laughs> I don't think, like, 100% of people are like, oh, yeah, aliens, I'm into that. Like, most human beings are attracted to other human beings for very obvious evolutionary reasons. <laughs> yeah, I thought about this a lot during this series, is the idea that, like, these humans are all attracted to aliens and the aliens seem all attracted to humans. And you're like, would they be? Like, that right. seems questionable. Somebody's not going to like one of the aliens. <laughs> and also, like, why is every alien species they meet immediately attracted to human beings? Like, I would imagine aliens prefer different sexual characteristics if they even sexually reproduce than what humans prefer. Yeah, I would agree. I know. I had the same thought process while reading these books, Sam, but I think about that anytime there's an alien-human cross-relationship. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, and even, you know, would they have the same sexual organs? No, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> well, this book posits that they do, Sam. <laughs> of course it does. Like <laughs> The whole uh... series suggests that they do. <laughs> I get it that it's like, you know, just have to go with it because otherwise you wouldn't have sci-fi erotica at all. I'm not sure if that's a good or a bad thing. I'm not going to say one way or the other, but I just have to point out that it is total BS. It is. 
So as I said, this plan involves Georgie making noise so that they open the gates of the the cage, and then the guard's going to come inside where Georgie is planning to throw the bucket that they use for the bathroom at him to distract him, and then the girls will rush him and take the gun. That's the plan, okay? That's a, that's a so plan. You know. So then they have one alien down <laughs> and a gun, and a whole yeah. shit more to go. <laughs> yeah. So as Georgie picks up the bucket and the alien does come inside, she, you know, makes some noise, he comes inside, the other girls panic and retreat to the back of the cage, not rushing him they like totally freak out and then hang her out to dry got it yeah absolutely she throws a bucket at him but he grabs her arm and and is you know tearing at her skin and she looks back at kira and liz her two co-conspirators and kira has is not helping because she has this really odd expression on her face and she's clearly trying to like listen to something that's in her translator that's going on and then she says kira says out loud confused she's like detachment commencing and as she says this the entire floor shifts and all the girls go skidding across the floor and the ship tilts and the lights go out as red emergency lights come on and gravity is lost. Okay, a couple dun, dun, of dun. questions. <laughs> Just a few. A, if they're planning to detach the cargo bay, which they talked about earlier, why would the orange alien be in the cargo bay? I don't know the answer. To the I think maybe it was an emergency situation, Sam. I don't know. Yeah, you think they would evacuate, like, oh, he's given evacuation warning to the cargo bay to get all their friends off of it before they detach it. A. Uh, B, how <laughs> is Kira's translate? Like, are there other people in the cargo bay talking about that? Or is she getting, like, radio trans? Is she, is she tapped into their communication system? No, she hears it over the intercom system that, that its detachment is Commencing. So there is an intercom. They just, the orange alien decide to ignore the warning. Yes, but I think it's pretty quickly. Or maybe he's in the middle of being, you know, a slop bucket thrown at him so he doesn't hear it. I don't know, Sam. Good euphemism with slop bucket there, Danielle. <laughs> it's gross. Okay. It's a gross bucket. <laughs> So as she sails through the air, Georgie, to her surprise, sees the gun also sail past her, and she kicks off one of the lockers and grabs it, grabs for it just as gravity kicks back in and she lands hard on the floor. The gun's underneath her and the ship rights itself. Uh, okay. <laughs> so she can't figure out how to shoot it, uh, of course, as you so rightly pointed out, like, how do you fire an alien weapon? <laughs> right. Like, I'm not saying aliens wouldn't necessarily be humanoid, although, again, that's another discussion. Why is every alien humanoid? <laughs> And I'm not going to accept the K-Pax answer, that not great movie, about the, just being the most efficient shape for beings. The point is, even if they were humanoid, like, not necessarily going to be the same weapon design paradigms that we use. Right. So she can't figure out how to shoot it. The guard is, like, coming to on the floor because he also fell. And as as he's kind of, like, figuring out what's going on, she smashes the gun over his head and does it repeatedly until Liz tells her to stop. Like, she's like, he's definitely dead. <laughs> He's all big, squishy pile. Yay! Yay! <laughs> so everybody's excited. She actually managed to take out one of the guards. And, but as they celebrate, an announcement comes overhead and Kira yells that it's saying to prepare for re-entry and they're about to crash. Ah! So they ditch the cargo pod, but are still broadcasting warnings to it? I think they're just broadcasting to like the general populace but why? on the ship. But the cargo pod's off the ship. It's not off the ship yet. Didn't they detach it? Wasn't that whole detachment thing when they ejected the cargo pod? Okay, so, yeah. So they detached... The, maybe it's like an automated thing telling her that to prepare for re-entry and they're about to crash. I don't think it's saying they're about to crash, but I think it's saying prepare for re-entry. I'd just say, like, these aliens seem to be it's issuing a lot of... some kind of automated of system. <laughs> also, why would a cargo pod be designed to be re-enter... I don't know. Uh, this whole thing is Sam, questionable I don't know. ship design. <laughs> 
think that hard about the ship detaching. I was just like, sure, the ship's detaching and re-entering into whatever planet this is. Wouldn't a better way just be leave it floating in space? Because then you don't have to worry about yeah, trying to like maybe. lift it off of a planet, which requires a lot more energy and effort than just finding it back <laughs> in space where you know you left it. Like, And space is big enough. You can hide it in space pretty easily if you're worried about interlopers. That's why Sam is in charge of aliens. <laughs> This is, I mean, again, I know why the book is doing this, because it needs to land on a planet where there are other aliens they can have sex with, because book. But the whole reason you wouldn't want it to be put onto another alien planet is just for that exact reason of, like, what's already there? Could they destroy your cargo? Even in space, when you have a ship that's designed to be in space, is better than some random planet whose conditions you don't know. I do not disagree, but here we are. <laughs> with this right. pod re-entering into some kind of planet. Maybe Great. Earth, maybe not. Who knows, Sam? Great. It's definitely not Earth, Danielle. <laughs> That'd be a pretty funny plot twist, though, as they just re-enter Earth and it becomes a survival story. Right, they land on some island and we're suddenly back in, what was that, um, Beauty Queens? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just like that, but with aliens after them. <laughs> right, no, I think, like, the entire story is exactly the same after. It's just how they got to the island is not a plane crash, it's the aliens dumped them on Earth. <laughs> I would love to start out a book as an alien, like, drama, and then they just end up back on Earth, and the aliens are just kind of, like, a threat if they figure out where they went. <laughs> I mean, like, I, no, I, I wouldn't even keep it as a threat. I'd be like, okay, alien part is done now. Uh, never mind about that. You have to survive on this island. <laughs> that would be so funny to, like, bring people in thinking it's an alien story, and shocker, it's not. <laughs> a real Shyamalanian twist there, Danielle. <laughs> I like it. Anyway, the ship pitches, Georgie tumbles through the air, smacks her head, and the world goes black. Because that's uh, how we like course. to end all our, all our chapters. Also, a cargo pod is probably not designed to enter an atmosphere safely and Absolutely land safely. Not. Like, it would... Which it, we get into. <laughs> yeah, so leave it in space! Well, that's not what happens. She comes to with Liz standing over her, and her wrist is broken, Georgie says, and she's bruised, but she's alive, and everybody but two people made it. So most of them are banged up pretty good, but most of them are alive. And two of them died? Two of them died. But it's okay, because they're literally just two names. We have not met them in the story. I mean, they're still human beings, presumably. The story is very cavalier. I was like, why? Why have anybody die? What does it matter? <laughs> like, you didn't know these two people. The story's already nonsense. Like, th like the whole, you know, aliens abducting humans for sexing and then ditching their cargo pod onto a planet is already, like, contrived as heck. It might as well keep the contrivances going. <laughs> yeah. Well, two people didn't make it. Um, I think one of them was named, like, Peggy or Peg. And I don't know the other one's name. I can't remember. <laughs> it doesn't. Does it matter? No, it doesn't at all. They're not even introduced once in the book. And they're not and memorialized they in any brought way. Up again. <laughs> yeah. So who not cares? Really. They, they're irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> they are. I think just to uh, show how dangerous this re-entry was. Ooh, so, so when dangerous. they crashed, <laughs> when they crashed, part of the hull of the ship was torn away, and it shows that it's snowing outside. It's kind of like above them; they can see. Oh, so the aliens ditched their cargo to come back for it later. But oh no, the cargo escaped! Like, who could not have seen this coming? <laughs> they also like it's, they assume that there must be oxygen on the planet, given that they're all not dying by breathing in. You know, that's a very good the point. Like coming in the hole. <laughs> You know, this is another thing that I have a problem with. Like, I get, you know, Star Trek tried to wave this way, like, M-class planets are Earth-like, and I'm sure there are Earth-like planets out there, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, I think most planets would not have the exact right mix of oxygen and nitrogen and other things and, like, not have anything toxic in the air or pathogens or other things to make it safe for humans. So this, well, we'll wander around. It's just like Earth. And the gravity is exactly right. We do kind of get into right. this in the book. <laughs> 
Like, it's all very suspicious. It is. However, they're not dying. So as far as they know, uh, it's an Earth-like planet. And Great. Georgie asks, like, are we back on Earth? Do you think we're back on Earth? And Kira's like, um, I really highly doubt that because they, they, I heard them say they were depositing us to a safe location for pickup later. And they kept mentioning a particle cloud. And so I can't imagine that we're on Earth. Oh, yeah. This is a real good job depositing them for safe pickup later. Good job, guys. Real safe location. Yeah. And this is actually a good one where... Where did she hear this? Was this over the intercom systems, walkie-talkies? Like, okay, what? yeah, this is like a that's full a good conversation. Point. <laughs> <laughs> like, are the aliens just discussing their plans in the cargo hold, or just broadcasting every you know staff meeting over the PA for everyone to hear? I have no idea. So that's intriguing. Also, don't so, give your alien captors translation devices that you cannot control. Yeah, it becomes a bit, it actually uh, foils everybody's plan later. Not that you'll, I don't think you get into it in this book, but it was really a bad idea to give her one. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to give someone a translation device, at least be able to like remotely disable it. Yeah, nope. That's apparently not a thing that these aliens in their futuristic spaceship can do. I'm angry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm angry. Like, the aliens are clearly the bad people. They're doing sex slave trafficking. That's awful. I get it. But, I mean, you're writing a book. I'm angry that how incompetent you've made these clearly, vastly, technologically superior beings. Like, that's just... <laughs> I think they feels... should be smarter for being evil. <laughs> right. I mean, it doesn't feel genuine. It feels like they are just some kind of... They don't feel like a real threat now. They feel like they're just incompetent morons. It does. Uh, they don't get better, Sam. I'll, I'll, I mean, I'm not all the way through the series, but as far as I can tell, they don't get better <laughs> in terms of being smarter. Yeah. I mean, you can have evil, really compelling villains are smart and cunning and the heroes overcome them through their own cleverness. If the, if the evil people are just pushovers, it doesn't have much of a story there. <laughs> Well, luckily, they're not really the point of the story at all, Sam. In fact, you can pretend like the aliens disappear forever as far as we're concerned for this book. <laughs> right, because the point of the story is the sex with the blue-horned alien. I get that. Uh, Yeah, maybe. So. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> or some other alien. Blue-horned aliens. <laughs> they do it all survivors of a spaceship crash do which is they take stock of what they have in the way of food clothing etc etc of course because they assume if the aliens were expecting to pick them up again like maybe they put some kind of store of food or something in the area that's another good question <laughs> yeah so they find enough food and water for a week for all the the people that are there but there's no extra weapons or clothes like the idea that they would have left extra weapons in the cargo hold but sure <laughs> no that's dumb <laughs> I like the idea also that these aliens seem to know very little about humans because they drop them on what seems to be a very snowy planet in their pajamas because they mostly were abducted when they were sleeping. And so they, and I don't imagine that even if the ship had crashed intact, that the heat would be working. <laughs> like, what's the plan? I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, this is the whole thing. Like, this ship is not an ice ship. It's a spaceship. Like, I, I still think you should have just left it floating in space and then come back for it. I don't disagree. I think that's a much better solution, but it also would have never... I guess that's not true. You could have left it floating in space and maybe some kind of space traveling alien could have picked it up and they could have fallen in love with them. <laughs> right. Or, you know, maybe they left the floating in space and the women break out while the aliens, like, they didn't know that the orange guard opened the cage, which was a dumb idea. And so now they're wandering around the pod and managed to accidentally crash into the planet. Well, there we go. Problem solved. 
this this part of the story this is really like 20 pages in sam like it really just needs to get them to the planet <laughs> i know but like it establishes a precedent of, of it goes back to your expectations for a story and building the world and trusting the author like if you're trusting the author to do things that make sense or to be a reliable narrator or to create reasonable stakes is is already undermined at the start, it makes it hard to be invested in the rest of the story <laughs> in that sort of way. Yeah, I think the author chose to create her world building was definitely more focused on this planet than anywhere else. Right. Like, and there's, I a lot, was... there's a lot, there's a large amount of world building, I would say, on this planet. Like she really, and she sure. has a lot of books to discover new stuff on it. I get that. And that's fine. And but just also kind of like very clear that very little effort was put in how they actually get to that planet. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's totally like, I might get it towards the end, um, but the, the alien stuff, I maybe it's more prominent later on in the series but as of where i am right now it is not a super prominent issue these like bad aliens that drop them off <laughs> yeah there's gonna be other ways they got there that didn't need to be so convoluted <laughs> anyway sam they're stranded on this uh supposed planet yes and... we've turned into space women hatchet the book <laughs> It is Hatchet the Book. It's probably why I like this book. <laughs> uh, you do have a penchant for survival stories, Danielle. I do. I do like survival stories. And this is at, at its beginning core is a survival story. And this, this society is very survival based. So no surprise that I was okay with Ice Planet Barbarians. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Liz asks why they didn't leave them more if they expected them to survive for some undetermined amount of time on this planet. And Georgie points to the tubes, reminding her that they're they're the extras, essentially. So, like, if they all die, you know, it's time wasted, but it's not like it's the end of the world. They do have this the six people who will survive indefinitely in their tubes. But the, also, like, that's nonsense because there are only six people in tubes and there they were, I should say, like, what? He said 14 women total, so eight more women. They had more women, more cargo, more money potentially outside of the tubes and in. Right. I know. But that's her thought process as to why they didn't give them a ton of supplies. That's bad economics. I, also think, <laughs> I also think it's kind of like an I think a better explanation would have been like, well, that was an emergency situation, clearly, so they didn't have time to like give us stuff. <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I'd buy that, sure. But I don't. They never mention that. They just think it's because they're the extras. Um, they wonder if they should maybe wake up the people in the tubes, but they're like, "Well, that doesn't make any sense because we don't even have enough supplies to feed all of us. Like, we don't need six more people." Yeah, of course. So as they sit around trying to think of their next moves, Georgie realizes that they're all looking to her, and she's kind of inadvertently become their leader because she Why? was the only one that stood up. Because <laughs> she was the only one that stood up to them, Sam. <laughs> And she killed right. the one. And that's, I guess. <laughs> so she kind of takes on the mantle, not willingly, unsure what else to do, and suggests that if the planet has oxygen, or at least, you know, that some kind of environment that they can breathe in, maybe there's other stuff that lives there too. Like it might be an Earth-like planet. It has a hospitable environment for other creatures. So they should scout the area, find their bearings, and maybe see if there's food or water, and then report back to the rest of them. Good luck. I know what you're going to find, though, and it's not going to be food. it would be something else to eat. <laughs> That too. Or something to eat them. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. Liz. <laughs> I mean, you just basically took my application and said the exact same thing. But in a more fun way for women. 
So Liz recommends Georgie for the job, partly because she's the leader and has so far proved more capable than all the others, and also because there's only apparently three characters in this book, even though there's many women, and Liz's knee is messed up and Kira can't go because they need her translator in case the aliens return. Like, she might know that they're coming. Sure, because she'll get radio transmissions from them. (laughs) She does. This is a spoiler for future books, everybody, but she totally gets radio transmissions from them. Why? (laughs) Why? Oh, why? (laughs) She totally knows they're coming when they're on their way, and I think it's hilarious. Ugh, dumb. (laughs) I'll spoil some of the future books, because, you know, if you guys... The listeners want to read these books, go for it. But I will spoil a little bit. Great. Don't worry, it won't ruin too much. <laughs> so Georgie doesn't want to do this, obviously, but contemplates that like everybody's pretty banged up. And does she really want to leave her fate in the hands of another person? So she's a little type A, but I get that. I, I would totally have that thought process. Sure. Like, well, I'm the least hurt and I don't want to just sit here and do nothing. So I'll go. <laughs> How is she the least hurt when she suffered a head injury that made her black out? Like she has a concussion. Yeah, apparently. They never really mention that again, mostly that it's focused on her wrist being broken. Got it. Great. <laughs> I actually had not even thought about the fact that she had a head injury until you mentioned it. Yeah, no, that seems pretty severe to me, especially like, oh, go wandering <laughs> around in an extreme temperature environment with a head injury. Sounds like a great idea. <laughs> yeah, she's fine, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> great. so she asks if anybody has survival experience and nobody says anything and this is not part of this book but again spoilers for a later book as you find out i think they're two different characters everything's blending together that you find out that i think it's liz that's hunted a bunch with her family when she was little and either she or another woman is like a champion bow shooter like competition bow shooter and that really feels like something somebody would say in that moment is like well i have had a little bit of survival experience let me give you some tips and tricks but no everybody just like dead silent. She's like, well, I guess nobody knows how to survive in the wilderness then. Also, just semi-related to that, and let me ask you up front, is this a kind of book where despite them being crash land on an alien planet, they always have like perfect hair and perfectly shaved everything and, and all that kind of stuff? Or does it actually talk about how like, oh yeah, you would not pick your most attractive when trying to survive an ice planet crash? Oh no, she totally mentions that she smells like uh, the poop bucket from earlier. Like, so I know it's, they don't really mention like shaved legs or anything like that but they they do mention that they look terrible and everything's torn up and they're all bloody and like they're not attractive at this time (laughs) yeah at least that part's more accurate yeah you'll see that it really doesn't matter though sam it doesn't matter if they're attractive or not (laughs) well i mean again what is attractive to an alien (laughs) exactly it does not matter that's what i mean like it's like the perfect situation (laughs) perfect uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in that they're all stranded on a, on a planet and it doesn't matter if they're attractive enough to aliens because they all will be attractive. It doesn't matter. Okay, whatever. Let's go. <laughs> You'll get there. <laughs> anyway, nobody says anything about their survival background, which is terrible. And Georgie ends up taking the clothes from the guard, the jumpsuit, and takes her food rations and tells the other that if she's not back in about 24 hours, not to look for her because that's not going to help anybody. And they help push her out the hole and into the snow. Yay, into the snow. So there are two suns and a giant moon. Just as a side note, it's not really important. I just, you know, it's an alien planet. Same, It's not Earth. <laughs> They're in a binary system and... 
again, I don't know anything about astronomy and I've never lived in a binary star system, but like, I imagine that would create a very different kind of livable environment than what we're used to on Earth. Like, I'm, I, I'm wondering how hospitable a planet like that would be. Like, why is everything so different, but yet exactly perfect for humanity to survive on this planet? Well, well, if we'll get into the planet, you can tell me if you think it works or not. <laughs> Again, I am not an expert. I am not an astronomer or a geologist or like a xenobiologist or any of that stuff. Like, I just know that it's an incredibly fragile system in general. And so, I don't know. It just seems unlikely. Yeah. Well, we'll get into it. You Great. can tell me. I don't know enough. Of, I, you know more than I do. You can tell me if this planet seems hospitable to humans or not. <laughs> this is like, you know, when, I say, when you say I know more than you, that means very little because I know very little too. <laughs> well, you know uh, the bare minimum more than I do. So maybe it'll, it'll ring a bell. I was going to ask our, any of our listeners who know anything about this actually to weigh in. <laughs> Yeah, if this planet's possible, please let us know. Or if it's not, please let us know. Well, not even just as possible, it's like even likely. <laughs> so they call, the girls call from below. They're asking what it looks like. And she, because they can't see out. And she tells them it looks like Hoth from Star Wars, the planet. I'm sure, I'm sure Disney was very pleased to be name dropped in this book. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> Except there are two tiny suns and a giant moon. And Liz yells back that it's not Hoth. It was the sixth planet from its sun. And she doesn't recall it having a moon. <laughs> And Georgie's like, you're a huge nerd. And they're calling the planet Not Hoth. That's its name for the rest of the stories. So the other person's like, is she saying Hoth was the sixth planet from the sun or this planet is the sixth planet from the sun? That Hoth was the sixth planet from the sun. I don't know if that's true. Any Star Wars people out there, feel free to weigh in. <laughs> I, I mean, I bet the author looked up in Wikipedia. I bet it's true. Or whatever. Or maybe yeah, they're sure. a big Star Wars fan. Sure. Yeah. Whatever. Either way, calling it not Hoth for the rest of the series is questionable IP at best. <laughs> I thought it was funny. <laughs> okay. She begins her track. <laughs> Georgie does. Great. So after walking, it's just it's just snowy hills. Like, there's nothing out here. So after walking for some time, she sees what she thinks are trees out in the distance and makes her way to them, hoping they might prove to have a source of nutrition nearby or they are a source of nutrition. And the trees are described, I think, as blue-green and feathery with sticky barks, because why not? <laughs> okay. First off, how is she ever going to find her way back to the ship? She can still see the ship. So she's oh. just, it's just like kind of flat, plainy, little hilly area that's surrounded okay. by like mountains and stuff. Like she could still see the ship off in the distance. All right. So I also wondered that while she was trekking because it seems like she treks for a while. And then there's a mention of her looking back and seeing just like the distant spot of the, the ship in the, the black dome in the snow. Sure. So as she makes her way to the trees, she hears water, the sound of water. Dun, dun, dun. And she follows the sound and sees these very tall stalks. They're described like bamboo shooting out of a stream. And there's a, a bunch of them. And they're really, really tall, like building tall. And each one has a pink sluggish looking thing on the top. But there's a shorter one closer to the edge of the stream, which she grabs hold of, uh, noting that it's warm under her hand. And she wonders if the water is warm as well, since it's flowing in this, like, you know, icy tundra area. Well, maybe warmer than freezing. Doesn't mean it's like, oh, I'm going to take a nice hot bath in it. Well, I guess it's like genuinely warm to the touch. It's like it feels more oh. warm than she would be expecting. And so she leans down to the surface, trying to see underneath the water to like, you know, see what's there, what's what it's connected to. And to her shock, a face looks back at her and it's a huge... Huge mouth with jagged teeth and bulging fish eyes. Ooh, sexy. And, it's one of the sexy aliens, the right? 
Yes, it's one of the sexy aliens. I mean, every alien in this book and is this potentially talk. a sexy alien, given how these women's proclivities happen to align perfectly with any alien they meet. I would love that these would be like the uh, second leads in the story, where they're like fighting with the other the other aliens to like try and take the women. Well, my point is like with no rules on what attraction is, like no context for what, what is attractive or not. Like anything could be attractive to these women. I don't know. It's all aliens. <laughs> yeah. Well, obviously, the description suggests that these are not attracted to women, nor are the women attracted to them. And the stock appears to be attached to its nose or where its nose should be. So it's like an angler fish, then. Uh, pretty much. Yeah. Like, and she screams and stumbles back just as the creature lunge, lunges forward out of the water, snapping at her. But it doesn't appear that it can exist on land because she run, like rushes away from it. Spider, she like crab crawls backwards and it settles back into the water, disappearing underneath until only the stock is visible. That seems like a very inefficient hunting technique. Let me hunt creatures on a <laughs> landmass when I cannot go onto that landmass. <laughs> <laughs> So she's absolutely freaked out by these monsters and that the stream is apparently filled with them since there's just bamboo stalks like everywhere. They're like a little forest and she takes off running, deciding she's definitely not equipped to deal with this planet. She basically freaks out at the first sign of anything scary. (laughs) Makes sense to me. Yep. And as she runs through the feathery forest again of all the trees, she suddenly finds something whipping around her ankles and she flies through the air and she's now hanging suspended upside down in a trap. So she stepped into like a standard rope snare. Absolutely. She realizes very quickly that that's where she's in. I'm glad the aliens in this world use rope snares that we use on Earth. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're they're hunter-based society, Sam, so... You know, yes, they do. <laughs> and their techniques would be the identical to ours on the alien planet filled with alien fauna. <laughs> well, sure, they do other stuff too, but this was one of the things that they do is they have a rope snare. <laughs> Great. Perfect. Uh, so she has mixed feelings. Like, obviously, she doesn't want to be upside down in a snare, but it does mean that something intelligence on the planet. But she's also not sure if it's the kind of intelligence that's like going to eat her or not. Like, is she food to the intelligent thing? She doesn't know. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, they're going to eat her, as you established earlier. <laughs> Well, she starts to try to extricate herself, but the the gun fell when she got trapped. It came out of her hands and she can't pull herself up. She doesn't have like the core strength to pull herself up to try and untie it from her feet. She can't use the gun anyway. Well, no, but she just felt like she'd be happier if she had it in her hands so that she could <laughs> potentially like <laughs> just make her feel safer, Sam. <laughs> Let me do this useless lump of metal that I don't know how to use instead of maybe a, a like actual, you know, something you could use as a club. Maybe you'd have time if you weren't facing down an alien to try and figure out how to shoot it. I mean, she should have done it before she left. (laughs) Oh, yeah, but here we are. So before she can get out of the snare, a white furry figure approaches and she feels the pull of blackness as as being upside down finally catches up to her. She's been there a minute and she passes out. I mean... For the second time. (laughs) I'm going to blame that on her head injury because I don't know if just being held upside down (laughs) for a few minutes, like I get the blood rushes to your head and people can have adverse effects. But I don't think most healthy people just pass out from a few minutes of being upside down. Well, maybe she was there a lot longer and the book only suggested it was a little little bit of time. Okay, sure. That's also relevant to the story. <laughs> well, I mean, that's more the point, isn't it? All right. So the, ch- the section changes and we are now with Vectal, I assume is how it's pronounced. <laughs> Vectal? Can you spell that, please? V-E-K-T-A-L. There is actually a section in the book where he's trying to get her to pronounce it. I probably should have looked at it better, but here we are. Okay, cool. Vectal, the the white-furred, horned-up alien. Yes. So Vectal approaches the thing in his trap. He has no idea what it is, but he's very intrigued by it because a moment ago it was moving a lot and now it's not. It's just sitting there. 
And he remarks in his head, this all internal, that it smells like sakui, but it's not sakui. And he doesn't know what that means. And he pokes at it, but it doesn't Wait, he doesn't know what sakui means? Why is he thinking that? He knows what sakui means, which is we'll get into what it means. But he, it's like, it smells like it's part of this this, this species, the sakui like culture but it doesn't it doesn't actually smell like it he doesn't know what's going on so it smells like similar to this thing but doesn't yes very clear <laughs> well he's getting there sam it'd be like if we saw a weird looking bunny and you were like that looks like a bunny but i'm not sure it's actually a bunny <laughs> yeah i wouldn't say it looks like a bunny but it doesn't look like a bunny that's what i would say that made perfect this sentence made perfect sense to me i don't know why it doesn't make sense to you <laughs> i think this highlights a very big difference between us Danielle. i was like oh yeah that makes sense and you're all confused you're like that's I'm not how confused. i would describe it. i didn't think it's like not conveying any useful information well i didn't argue that but i totally understood what he meant like it's very similar to the thing but it's not this thing and that's perplexing sure okay Anyway, he cuts it free and it flops to the ground, lying in the snow, doesn't move. And suddenly, Sam, he is shocked to find his cooey resonates inside of him. And then he nicely explains to himself so that we know as readers that it's his inward being, which has lain dormant for so long, which recognizes no mate amongst my people. It vibrates and sings at the sight of this new creature. My uh, thoughts confused and whirling. I snatch it into my arms uh, and sprint for the nearest hunting cave. <laughs> oh, no. Oh. <laughs> What? So, uh, his cooey, which... Uh-huh. K-H-U-I. What a name. Uh, his innermost self resonates with this filth-covered alien. <laughs> Although he's like some weird deviant among his people because he has no attraction. He's not a deviant. They, uh, we'll get into that later. But he, for whatever reason, has not made it among his people. So this is what I'm getting at, Danielle, because right now, he's a deviant who hasn't found a mate among his people, and maybe he's like some weird fetishist, sure. But if this is more common, then why is this all relevant about his cooey uh, going, like... <laughs> like uh, how disturbed you are by that word. <laughs> it's such a gross word, and it's used in a gross way. Dumb. It's awful. It's awful and gross. Oh, you're going to have a hard time with the rest of this book, Sam. Oh, I, Danielle, I knew that going into it. <laughs> so he sprints for the nearest hunting cave. Basically, there's a network of caves for his people when they're on hunts that are kept stocked throughout the year for use. So these come into play a lot during the, the series, but oh, they're I all bet. around the... They're, I don't mean it like that, Sam. I mean, there's a lot of hunting in this book. Also a lot of sex, but there's a lot of hunting in this book. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Dan. I didn't realize the erotica alien book was so up on its hunting. That's on me. <laughs> it talks about hunting a lot. Like, there's a lot of survival. Sam, I did say, we did talk about the survival aspects of the book. So there's a lot of survival in this book. <laughs> okay, great. I was thinking of it from a survival aspect. Yes, there's also a lot of sex in these caves, but they're not sex caves, everybody. Okay, Sam's just being gross. Uh, I think <laughs> They're about to be sex caves, Danielle, which I think only proves my point. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe. So yeah, once you're inside, <laughs> he realizes her teeth are chattering, which is a noise. This is all from his perspective. So he's like, it's a noise the young sometimes make before they're sakui. So he pries open an eyelid to see if she is lit from within. I guess that's an indicator of whether or not she has a kui inside of her. Okay. So questions. she's not. She's not lit from within. So. Sure. It does, uh, this whole book is lit. Got it. Uh, <laughs> no. no. 
So the children are Kui or Sakui? What's Sakui? So I think the Sakui are like the name of the people. So his people are the Sakui and their spirit, their ka, their essence is Kui. Yes, Kui. And we do get into the Kui later because they're a very important part of the story. Like how they, where they, they come from, how they exist, et cetera, et cetera, of their purpose. Wait, so the Kui are that. different than the Sakui? I thought the Kui was like their spirit. It Okay, so... Sakui or it's like a symbiotic like, relationship. It's like a symbiotic relationship, which okay. we'll get into later. Not today, so, but we'll get into it. He's not the pervert. His you know, symbiotic parasite is the pervert. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> you can Great. blame everything on the stupid little cooies. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's better or not, Danielle. <laughs> they get into it later. But yeah, it's 100% the cooies fault that any of these people ever mate with each other. Gross. I mean, with each other, fine. <laughs> with the humans, weird. Okay. Well, we'll get into that, too. Uh, I mean, it's still weird, but at least there's reasonings behind all of this stuff. Is there a reason? I don't think like, what? oh, yeah, alien parasites totally want to bang humans. Like, and so they make their... Okay, no, there's of- not a reason for that, but we'll get into... It's just so I don't want to spoil anything, and this is okay, not, okay. not going to be resolved at this <laughs> this juncture, Sam. You're going to have to find out in the next part of the book. <laughs> all right. I mean, that's fine. I'm still going to raise the question, but you can totally say, I have no answer for you. That's legitimate. I'd have no answer for you at this time. Got it. All right. So I can neither confirm nor deny the existence of pervert parasite symbiotes. <laughs> They're definitely pervert symbiotic okay. parasites. Their names are Kui, and we'll get into the Kui and their job and where they come from and how gross they are later. <laughs> I knew they were Christmas the moment I heard that stupid part. name. <laughs> That's the best part, and I knew you'd love this part of like this freaking weird parasite thing. Great. Okay. So, <laughs> he pries open the eyelid. She is not glowing, so that means that she doesn't have a cooey inside of her. And he realizes Does her she cooey must one? be dead. <laughs> We're going to get into that, Sam. <laughs> so, <laughs> you have a cooey inside you. Would you like one? All right. See, this is where the story starts to pick up and gets, it spirals wildly out of control. Good. <laughs> so he assumes the cooey's dead. This is important, Sam. <laughs> the cooey is dead. And he realizes he kind of has to treat her as a child in terms of like her physical condition because she's cold. And like, if you have a cooey, you're not cold because you're on an ice planet. So he makes a fire to warm her, checks her for injuries, which is absolutely just curiosity as to what she looks like under her suit since he's quote unquote resonating with her, which I is don't a thing like that, that word. <laughs> I mean, I like the word resonate. I don't like it used in this context because it feels very. Like, we'll get used to it because it's, uh, it's a thing. I mean, it feels very like non-choice driven. Like, oh, I have no choice. I have to be attracted to you because I read like... Yeah. So interestingly, this series brings that up quite a lot, especially with later characters. Uh, it brings it up with Georgie too, but much more with a couple of the other characters who very much feel like that. Like, it's not fair. I don't have a choice kind of thing. And it kind of delves. I mean, it's much as a, it, this kind of story ever would, but it kind of delves into that concept of like, how much choice am I given in this and like i want to make my own choices so i mean i'll give it props for that sort of feminism in some ways (laughs) i mean i'm not saying that aliens can't have their own way of doing things but at least from a human perspective like choice and consent are very important parts of our sexuality yeah and the book 
gets into that because these characters, like the, uh, I mean, we'll get into it more when, when this relationship starts to develop, but the, the aliens are like, well, you know, we're mates. That's how it works. Like, that's now, now we're going to, you know, have a family. That's just the way of the world. And the humans are like, no, 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 no. Like, we're in our world. We choose. Like, I'm not mating with you randomly. Like, I don't have a cooey. I don't feel anything for you. Like, also, you know, that kind of thing. How would they be biologically compatible to make a family? Well, yeah, we'll get in there, Sam. Um, I don't want to get no, in there. Don't, I don't want to know. I don't want to know about alien pregnancy. <laughs> You're actually not going to get into that in this book at all. Um, oh, thankfully. And so, <laughs> like, maybe a little, but not like no, any kind of major way. Danielle, don't you and, dare go back on that. <laughs> The point is, is that there's a lot of discussion between the two of like the aliens having to respect the the culture of the humans and vice versa, obviously. But there's a lot of discussion about that. This book tried, considering the plot concept, the actual like idea of these two people being supposedly fated to be together by their parasitic cooey, like it tries really hard to be like, this is a choice and I'll respect your choice for the most I part. I appreciate the effort. I mean, I'll give a prop for that. <laughs> I think that's why this book did so well. This series did so well is that it has that like uh, possessive thing that so many women like to read about, I think, or people in general like to read about in their romances. But it has a lot of that feminist energy of like, I'm making my own choice. Screw you. Like I get to Mm -hmm. have consent in my relationship. So I think it tries to balance that, which is an interesting choice, I think. Okay, well, uh, I'll take your word for it. I'm glad it is better than a lot of other erotica stories in that regard. (laughs) Yes. I wouldn't be bringing it to you if it was absolutely terrible, Sam. I mean, I, I don't know if that's it. true. <laughs> I would, but for like other reasons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he's basically, he's sitting here, he's like checking her out. He's contemplating the differences in that she's like, her body's hairless. She's no ridges on her muscles or face. And it's, she's a completely different color. And she's clearly soft and weak. And he thinks she might be sick because that's like, that's why her cooey's gone. And obviously he also has an overwhelming urge to mate. Which, no, no, please, no. No. (laughs) So you're going to like this, Sam, in that you're going to hate it because it's full out legend with Cole when he wakes up Katie when she's passed out. No. She's like, ooh, you're so attractive. (laughs) Just so attractive. Except in this case, at least he has some kind of like actual physical, biological reason for doing it as opposed to just thinking that she's an alien or an angel that's dropped from heaven. (laughs) So... I get maybe he's an alien parasite driven thing. Fine. Why is she attracted to him? Uh, you know, in the beginning of this, it's unclear. I think she's just glad that she's not being like murdered by a blue horned alien creature. <laughs> yeah, but like, uh, there's a big gulf between not being murdered and oh, let me jump that. Well, they're not having sex quite yet. He's just you know making out with different body parts and Wait, he's, much like he's what. <laughs> <laughs> you you said checking her out. You didn't say he was like sucking on everything. I just everything said it was. I on. just said it was. I just said it was very much like legend with Cole, and he's like making out with her, except that he you know making out with her in a more sexy way. Sam. <laughs> oh oh gosh! Oh, I thought you meant more. I was just trying like, to be PG. <laughs> oh okay. I guess I was uh, trying to be too generous then <laughs> in that inter- <laughs> my like interpretation Katie, of what you th- said. <laughs> Let me move on. So much like Katie, she thinks that's a dream. And then she realizes that, like, she, like, tries to, like, push his head and she realizes that there's horns. And she's like, oh, my God, no, this is, like, a thing that's happening. Like, this is a real thing. And he, like, looks at her and he's blue-gray and he has ridges from his forehead to his nose. And his eyes are glowing a super brilliant, like, blue color. Yay. You always bring me such the best introductions to these protagonists. <laughs> like, Cole I just have, and like, this guy. 
<laughs> yeah, to be fair, I mean, I'll give this guy a more pass because he's, he's an alien. Like, yeah, because he yeah he thinks that this is like normal because this is how it would work in his culture. Right. I mean, that's at least more understandable if still gross, but like yeah, like he assumes that she's also like gonna feel the same thing. He doesn't one hundred percent realize that like she can't. She's not feeling this. Does the book ever get to, like if two people's cooies disagree? <laughs> Like, yeah, I'm into you. Actually, I'm there's, into you. There's, no, yeah, there's actually a, a couple later on in the story, not to the main couple, but a side couple that, you know, we don't hear much about, but they don't like each other, but their cooies, like, want them to meet, to have, No, like, but, like, what if the cooies disagree? Like, one cooies into another cooey, and that cooey doesn't feel the same thing back. No, I don't think that ever happens, I think, because, but then we'll get into why, because we haven't learned much about the cooies yet, but we will. Okay. So that doesn't happen, but there, it's sometimes the people or the creatures or whatever don't like each other, so that does happen. That's fun. So she sees his white furs that are still draped on his shoulders, and she realizes, obviously, that it's the person that she saw before she passed out. And then he starts to go to town again, and she kind of, like, is laughing. Like, this, I can't believe this is how I'm waking up to aliens. Like, what is going on right now? And then she just, like, yeah. decides to go with it because, you know. No. Why no, not? don't go with it. <laughs> but she does. You know what? She's sexually free and liberal. She can do whatever she wants, Sam. I mean, sure, but like, is her reason to go with it? Is she's like, I guess I have no choice, or she's like, I'm into no. this. No, she's like, I'm into this. Like, it feels Ugh. good. I'm gonna do it. I don't care. <laughs> like, I'll deal Ugh. with it later. Sure, <laughs> I <know>. fine. <laughs> <laughs> and when he tries to go for a little bit more, she ends up kicking him. Like, she apparently has her boundaries. This is a boundary, and he's like, he's furious, or he looks furious. He's not actually furious because we go into his head as to what conversation is going on. But he looks like he's mad. And in reality, Vectal is just very confused. Like, she doesn't want to mate. Why doesn't she want to mate with me? Or, like, our cooies are resonating. Her cooies like, dead, though. I thought he, but he, he doesn't, like, it. he knows that, but he doesn't quite understand the repercussions yet. He's getting there. This thought process gets him there. No, but my question is, why would he assume their cooies want them to mate if hers is dead? He gets there in his thought process. So, like, for him, he's had a cooies entire life. So I don't think it, like, I don't think he really thinks about the separate nature of the cooey versus him like i think it's okay. just one being in his head so he's like he he and literally the next like paragraph or two he just gets goes through the thought process of like oh i know what's going on <laughs> like, he gets there it's just not his initial reaction because the whole of the resonance okay. is really strong sure so she like he's confused that she doesn't want to mate but she's making him resonate and it's like a whole thing but her her eyes are like dead eyes i guess like strange yeah. eyes dead eyes oh like, so sexy the dead eyes <laughs> Are there, like she looks really scared and he wants to tell her that it's like okay that she's you know his and that he'll take care of her and it's like he's not going to hurt her and that they're going this is his quote just so you know uh that they'll take down one of the big this is not the quote i paraphrased it the really large sock coats sock coats s-a-k-o-h no t-s-k they're like big giant I don't know. I'm in my head, they're yetis, and I don't think they actually are in the book. <laughs> okay, so they're going to take down a, a uh, well, to go with the Hoth reference of Wampa. Yeah, a little bit, kind of. It's like, a, I don't know, it's like some really large furry creature, I think. And get a new cooey for her so that she won't be sick. Like, he's, he wants to tell her all this, but she obviously doesn't understand him. And he's not. confused why she would hurt herself by kicking him. So he's kind of like mad that she hurt herself because now she's upset and she's like clutching her foot because obviously it hurt because he's made out of pure muscle, so kicking him did no effect whatsoever. So he tries to explain that he won't hurt her, and he tries to look at her foot, but she kicks out in fear again, hitting his face, and he and he snarls from the pain. And she's clearly, like, super afraid of this of the noise, of the snarl, and he gets, like, really sickened by that reaction. He's like, I, would, I don't want to hurt you. Like, I, I didn't mean to, to 
to scare you. And he feels like she should know that because she's, they're resonating. But obviously, again, she doesn't know that. (laughs) I mean, they're not resonating because, again, to resonate requires a reciprocal thing to happen. And she has no cooey to resonate. So nonsense. (laughs) We'll get there. (laughs) Two seconds. So he reasons that the, that he decides that the reason that she uh, is so scared of him is because somebody must have hurt her in the past. So she can't trust him. And so he takes a better look at her and he realizes that she has bruises along her body and he like is like oh like that proves my point like some you know she's gone through something difficult and he asks who hurt her but she doesn't respond because she does again does not speak their language <laughs> she doesn't have the universal translator that what's her face yeah, i know <laughs> So he's wondering if all the weird noises that she's making is a language, uh, like the language of her species, because she's clearly not one of them. And maybe that's why he can't understand her. And then he also realizes that she doesn't feel the same things he's feeling because of her reaction. And he, he like attributes this to her lack of a cooey. So he starts to realize that like, oh, like she's not feeling the same things I'm feeling because she's not attracted to me because there's no cooey. Okay, so he's awfully blasé about an alien species on this planet. Yeah, I would say that's true for the whole, like, everybody kind of just accepts that, like, they uh, kind of appeared, like, they find out about the ship and stuff in a little bit, but, like, they're like, oh, well, okay, well, there's other creatures, but that's cool, you're all girls, we like that. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of gross, I don't like that. (laughs) In that way, there's a whole culture, like, that lives on this planet, we'll get to it right now, obviously, there's going to be more than one alien, but, like, we'll get into the whole the culture yeah, and the, the people I bet we and will. their family situations. So. so he assumes that the gods have sent her to him to practice patience. And Sam, this is the one and only mention of gods, as far as I recall. So they must have some kind of religious concept that has never been described. <laughs> it's not important. Don't worry about it. It's not like religions and culture <laughs> like- are ever important. So she like they end up like with this this group of people, you know, this like these aliens later on in the book, and literally nothing ever comes up about religion, as far as I remember, or as far as I've gotten in the series. And the idea that he it makes me think that it was just like one of those things that you write down that you don't think too hard about. Yeah, it's just a line to like explain what he's thinking at the moment. Yeah, and I didn't think about it when I read it the first time, but I was when I was reading it for this, I was like, wait a second, <laughs> that implies they have an entire religious culture. <laughs> Yeah. And also, I'm sure that if any of the women were fairly religious, they'd be having quite a crisis of faith at this moment, based on (laughs) the confirmation of aliens existing. Boy, that is none of that ever come up in the series. Which is probably for the best. I don't think this series would probably be the most sensitive place to handle delicate religious discussions. No, it does not. So he tries another take with her, realizing that she's not feeling the same way that he is, trying to take it a bit slower with her. And he is obviously getting like a huge kick out of the way that their bodies are so different from each other. And he holds up his hands, which have four fingers, and he points out that she has five fingers. So like, isn't that weird? We have different different hands. And she realizes he's trying to communicate something, like communicate to her. And so she touches her chest and she says her name. And after much ado, like a page of stuff, they manage to exchange names. As he takes more of her in, he realizes that it's not her cooey that got sick and died. It's that she probably never had one in the first place. And he's like very concerned about that. Like she's not going to survive on the planet. She's going to get sick. She's never going to like survive the cold. She's going to die. Then like she's never experienced a cooey. This is all so terrible. And he decides that's a no-go and they're going to fix that problem. ASAP. Like stat. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever on all of that. Who cares? Uh, how are they – like isn't it convenient they're both communicate through vocalization? Yes. I mean, Yes. 
but good thing. Yeah, and like have like the same basic mouth construction that they can form sounds in the same kind of ways and tongues. Yeah, like, well, they have those aren't like guaranteed. they have a really hard. T- that's no, it's not. But they do mention that like some of the words are super hard to say and the with their like way that everything's. Sure. Said. Even in Earth languages, people have trouble like pronouncing certain things in other languages. That doesn't mean I'm like these are aliens. Like they should, I don't know, <laughs> they shouldn't be. Well, close. there is an alien. There are aliens, like little green aliens. I think speak with chirps, so they're like physically impossible to do with human sure. mouths. Okay, so good thing that this is not the same. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, isn't it convenient that the aliens they want to bone down with happen to have like a, a similar enough communication style? Yeah, we're going to get into communication styles more in the second half of the book, Sam, because that's where we're going to end. Will she end up with a cooey or not? Who knows? I know will she will, and I hate it. <laughs> will, will the other girls ever get rescued from the spacecraft? Maybe not, because she's now in a sex cave with an alien. <laughs> I mean, they're going to be rescued, quote unquote, from one sex trade to another. That's not fair, Sam. Everybody's very respectful and they get to make their own choices. (laughs) Kind of. You'll get into it. We'll get into it. That is all in the first book. So Okay. Well, Danielle. (laughs) I'm sorry. Thank you for sharing this. The second half is where all the sex happens, but I will try my best to not uh, freak everybody out with all the details. I, I really don't want details about alien human I'm not going to give you details. The only time I think saying, I'll talk about the sex is if it's relevant to the actual plot that's going on. I get that. I'm just, I'm just questioning like the raison d'etre of this book where it's like, hey, <laughs> do you want to read about Ice Planet detail? Barbarians? <laughs> I know, but like, I just, I'm shocked there is such a large market for, I mean, I'm not shocked, I guess, but I am. Are you? Continu- I am not. I'm continually impressed by humanity's need for the weirdest stuff. (laughs) I think it's great. And these are very readable. And I I say that as as somebody who does not usually read a a series of erotic fiction. (laughs) These are very readable. I want you to guess how many books are in this series, Sam. I think it's important. 14? Nope, more. But there are only 14 women. (laughs) (laughs) Sam, trust me. I had the same thought when I saw how many books were in this series, and now I'm like nine books in or something. Ten. I'm twenty. Nope. Thirty? No, less than that. Okay, so it's like between twenty and thirty. All right, I don't just give me the number. Are you sure? Yeah. There are twenty-two books in this series, Sam. (laughs) That's more than necessary. even sure what all the books are about like i thought the 10 was pushing it and i was like well we're done with all the girls because we got through all of them by book nine and i was like what is the 10th book possibly about and then well they managed to find another plot line i guess if you have that cow you're gonna keep milking it <laughs> wow it's just really impressive sam there is a short a couple of short stories i think or novellas like i skipped one that i didn't care that much about i look forward to hearing how the next section is going to go danielle <laughs> Yep, you're welcome, everybody. Welcome to Ice Planet Barbarians by Ruby Dixon. Obviously a nom de plume. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, quite possibly. I don't know the answer to that. Uh, It looks like she's a pretty prolific writer, so Well, are we taking bets on whether it's really a she or or a a male author with the female nom de plume? I mean, she has a picture on Amazon, but it could all be fake. It's true. I have no idea. And I'm not saying one is better or worse than the other. I'm just curious because, again, who knows? (laughs) So that's what I have for you today. Sam, and next week as well. <laughs> I like how you set up all the really gross stuff for next time. Like, I mean gross in not like, you know, ooh, disgusting, but like cooey and Paris-like things and red, like it all just feels 
<laughs> I don't know. Weird. <laughs> I love sci-fi. <laughs> I like science fiction too, but like there are like there's a lot of science fiction that does some very unfortunate things. I'm gonna just you know that it absolutely does, and I'm not arguing that at all. Yeah. Yeah, so it feels like this is going to do some very unfortunate things. <laughs> it's already done a couple of unfortunate things, but... That's true. <laughs> it'll hopefully it'll even out in the latter half. And since I do know what happens in the next nine books or so, I'm happy to answer any, you know, major arcing questions or uh, concerns you may have. <laughs> uh, great. Can't wait to do a deep dive. And we have like a third episode. <laughs> we just summarize the other books and we can go through all like a, dis- a roundtable discussion of them. I feel actually if this didn't have such a like, I guess I could have done like what I do. Re- There's a couple of books that are super weird. And I almost went for one of those and just did my normal where I make you do the summary of the first book. So that you knew what was going on. But I really thought the first book had a lot to it. So far, it sounds like it's got a lot going on. <laughs> I've certainly enjoyed what you presented so far. I'm glad. I'm glad you appreciate it. Well, if any of our listeners out there want to share what their cooey resonates with, <laughs> they can do that by reaching us at bookretorts.com. I guess you can also tweet Instagram or Facebook us at Book Retorts. Yeah, feel free. Yeah, whatever. Especially <laughs> just include the tag uh, Resident Cooey when uh, tweeting us. <laughs> yeah, please do that. Uh, if you want more of this, yeah, you can support us on patreon.com slash bookretorts. Patreon! Well, Daniel, I cannot wait until next time. But until then, bye! Take care, everybody. only reason i've read this many of these books because that there's an actual plot and i'm like kind of the, in, the world building's actually kind of interesting it seems like a weird like the venn diagram here is interesting because you have to get people who are not just interested in the erotica and don't really care about the world building i found that as an impediment and people who are really interested in world building but also want a lot of erotica in there like that's just interesting <laughs> yeah, that's venn interesting. diagram yeah. yeah, I do not regret picking this up. I thought that I was just like, I this sounds insane. I kind of want to read it. And then I don't regret it. It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> it's-